Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump into today's conversation. My guest today is Tim Robinson. Tim is a real estate agent in the Washington, D.C. and Maryland area. He's also my business partner for the REI Concierge, a real estate investing consulting company we started together two years ago this May. Tim and I met in the Netherlands and we immediately connected over real estate investing. We are both married to U.S. diplomats and we focus our business on helping other Americans who are living abroad find and buy great investment properties in the U.S. In March of 2021, we began co-hosting the REI Concierge podcast. My experience and the fun I had with that podcast led me to starting this one. And while I spend quite a bit of time with Tim in the podcast setting as a co-host, this time it felt quite different and special to have Tim as a guest here on Make Life Less Difficult. In our conversation today, Tim shares the story of another parallel we discovered between us, both losing a loved one to a brain tumor. It is certainly not the expected place of connection, but it sure makes it incredibly meaningful. It's an honor to host this conversation and have Tim share about his friend, Adam. I truly believe telling the stories of our loved ones who have passed keeps their memory alive and is a way for us to continue honoring them. Tim, thank you for being a guest on the Make Life Less Difficult podcast today. Thank you for sharing these pieces of your journey, for being a great business partner, and for being someone who makes the world a nicer and better place. Tim, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thank you, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I had to consciously think about the words coming out of my mouth right there because (laughs) We have another podcast together, and usually the words yeah. out of my mouth are, welcome back to another episode of the REI Concierge Podcast with Tim and Lisa. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting experiment because we're definitely, I feel like we're just going to slip into REI Concierge mode. Um, <laughs> it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting to have like a different conversation with you. So I'm excited and nervous. We'll see what happens. It is, um, no, it's really cool, Tim. And for those listening who have not heard of the REI Concierge podcast, please tune in. It is on all of your favorite podcasting platforms and Mm -hmm. we talk real estate. We do. We do. And shame on all of you who have not subscribed. I'm just going to put in a shameless (laughs) plug here, even though these are two totally separate realms of, uh, don't shame my um, listeners on me. We're trying to make life less <laughs> difficult, Tim. I know. I'm already making things more difficult. I knew this was going to be a disaster. The ultimate backfire already. Oh, God, Lisa. I'm in big trouble here. <laughs> All right. I ask every guest that comes on this podcast about this idea of making life less difficult. And this title of the podcast, the work that I do, came out of a quote by Marianne Evans, which is, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I would love to hear, what does that mean to you, Tim? Yeah. I mean, I think that means a lot. Um, I think it's a pretty powerful quote. And I know you've said it to me before you even started the podcast. I was like, wow, that's really good. Um, 
and I think it's hard. Like, I think, I think it's difficult to make life less difficult for other folks. Sometimes. Um, I think I'll speak for me. I'm a very selfish person and I don't want to be, but I am like, I, I know that now, like I have two small children and like, I love them more than anything in the world, but I'm also like, I really just want to sleep or like, I really just want to go ride my bike or, you know, take a little hike in the woods in silence. And like, I just, I keep, I get frustrated with myself because I'm like, man, I am just like, who cares what I want to do? You know what I mean? Like I'm responsible for these two little guys. I have a wife who I love. And like, I think making life less difficult for them needs to be like my top priority. And then I always get a little bit down on myself because I'm like, man, I just, I kind of want to check out and do my own thing. So I think making life less difficult for others, you also have to kind of like make life less difficult for you and be, so you, I'm going to throw this back on you, Lisa, you use a term all the time and I can't think of it. And you're going to think of it as soon as I say it, where you take it easy on yourself. Mm. What do you say? What's the phrase you always say? You're like, you know what I'm talking about? You have like a a fancier term for it. (laughs) Self-compassion. Self-compassion. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) I need to have some more self-compassion. And I think if you start with self-compassion, because I really like that idea. Um, because I think we're both very tight. You and I are both, I mean, I know you pretty well. I think we're both very type A personalities and like to get a lot of stuff done and kind of succeed and excel at what we do. And I think that if we don't feel we're doing that, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you. I always speak for you. And I always regret it afterwards. I'll speak for myself. I always just have such curiosity, Tim, whenever you do speak for me. (laughs) So I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for Lisa. Um, yeah, I think so when we don't, you know, I, I guess reach the bar that we set for ourselves or achieve certain things that we want to achieve. I think I can beat myself up for that a little bit. And I think self-compassion probably plays a large role in making life less difficult for others. Um, so I think, I mean, overall, that was kind of a long way of saying that I think you just really need to, I kind of innately also see the good in people, um, you know, first and foremost. And I think that if you just, <laughs> I always just, I, I'm a very simple man, Lisa, as you know. And I think if you just are kind and like try to see the best in people and just don't always look out for number one and kind of see what you can do to help others. I mean, I think that makes life less difficult. Um, I think we live in a very competitive world and you and I both have, you know, some competitive streak in us. But I think also that that really can take the place of the self-compassion piece and take the place of uh truly trying to make life less difficult for others. Um, and I don't know, it's something I've never really like before you started this podcast, something I never really thought of, like, how do I make life less difficult for others? But I think it, I think it starts with just, I don't want to go golden rule route, but just like, how would that make me feel? You know what I mean? Kind of like whenever you engage with someone, whenever you have a conversation, whenever you take actions, just kind of think like, would I want this done to me? And I think that would, if that makes life less, less difficult for you, then it should also conversely make life less difficult for others mm-hmm. um so that was a lot of words that really just says be nice it's kind of what i'm trying to say like just be a good person <laughs> be compassionate be understanding don't be rigid you know don't be too set in your ways and just kind of be flexible with with how you deal with folks and realize we're all trying to do the same thing there's so much to unpack tim in what oh, you man. said <laughs> inside jokes inside jokes I hate that phrase. Listeners Tim, that make life less difficult podcast. <laughs> Tim does not like the phrase unpack that. So I purposely said it just, uh, I know you did just because I appreciate it. There really are a number of things that you said that stand out to me. And it's, so let me see if I can kind of 
touch on them. You started off identifying yourself as a selfish person. And it's so interesting to hear how you identify yourself because as your friend and business partner, I do not describe you as a selfish person at all. And Mm. you, you. you eventually got around to the word kind, but that is certainly one of the first descriptors that I use if I'm describing Tim Robinson. You are a very kind person. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. And I think it, I guess I'm, I'm getting old and younger in my life. I never really thought of myself as selfish, but like the more, I think it might come with being a parent and just being a spouse, you know, and just kind of having to realize that our life is now different, you know, like we are not just responsible for a number one and look out for the, you know, the first guy being me. And I, maybe I'm not, I don't know. I think I'm a little bit selfish, but I, (laughs) I strive not to be. And and maybe that's something I need to explore more. You know, maybe I'm not being selfish. Maybe I'm just trying to find balance between, you know, keeping two little humans alive, um, keeping a wife uh, thriving and also keeping myself balanced. You know what I mean? But I think, uh, I don't know. I think there's, there's something, something there that doesn't feel quite right. So that's something that I want to try to work on. I didn't know this was a therapy session, but here we go. <laughs> would you like to lay down on the couch? <laughs> I would. I would. I would. I'm exhausted. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think something else so you brought up the self-compassion piece and you said about making life less difficult for ourselves helps us make life less difficult for others. And this has come up before. And I believe this, this is part, this is very close to my heart because when I was first introduced to the term self-compassion, I had, I think it was five or six years ago and I had really never heard it before. I was like, yeah, whatever. It sounds nice. But then I started reading a book by that title and had to realize how little self-compassion I had and Mm. how hard I was on myself. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea. And as I have shifted into having a practice of self-compassion um, it has the, the most surprising thing is that it has allowed me to be more compassionate with others and more patient with others when I'm more kind and patient to myself. And so that's an interesting, I don't know if I'd call it a pair. Is it a paradox, Tim? I would call it a parallel, a parallel. more than a paradox. Ah. You know what I mean? Like kind of, and I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I think that I mean, like the the oxygen mask analogy comes to mind, right? Like on an airplane, like yes. when the air mask pops out, like you you take care of yourself first so that you can be fully there to take care of the person next to you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's apt. You know, I really do. Like I, and I, I, I struggle with that too, because like, I really, I, I go hard in life. Like I, I work very hard. I, I play very hard. I, you know, I try my best at everything I can. I mean, that's not unique. Everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people do that. Um, but I think if you don't take that time out to kind of rejuvenate yourself and take care of you, um, then you're no good for anybody. You know what I mean? I'm finding that especially now as we are, you and I, and all of our businesses are working very, very hard, um, and just kind of burnout's a real thing, you know? And like, I don't want to get there. And I think that being self-compassionate and being like, you need to just turn everything off, you know, and like go for that walk. Um, I think it's, it's not only like advisable, it's critical. Uh, and you know, I think that I'm not that good at that. So I'm trying to get better at that because like, I find myself, you know, with people I love just getting a little 
more snippy just because you're just so tired. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're just, mm-hmm. you're burned out. You put it, you put it all in all day and then you just kind of like, you have nothing left and that's not cool. I'd rather be vice versa. You know, like the people closest to you, um, you want to do the best for, and then have whatever else is left you can give towards business. Because I mean, let's be honest, that's secondary to anything that matters. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And I think that the, you know, being good to yourself first, um, is hard, but necessary. And I think that that would probably lead to better things in your life. So I'm trying, I don't know yet, but I think that's how it's going to work. I, I, yes. Um, so what comes up for me as you're sharing is that it is difficult to find that right. I'm going to use the balance, the word balance here, even though I don't love the word balance, but it is difficult to find the balance. And it's one of these areas where I say, I I don't know that there's any easy way to get there. And so this idea of how can we make it less difficult comes up. And I can't remember if you and I have talked about this or if I've talked about it on this podcast, but a number of years ago, I read a, a blog from one of my coaching colleagues who was like, we've got to get away from this work-life balance thing because it honestly, it makes you, I, I think about being on a tightrope or, you know, some sort of thing. And I immediately feel, I tense up and I feel like, whoa, I'm going to fall off. I mean, you know, I have yeah. to like keep the balance. And he said, he finds it much more helpful if he thinks about life coming in, in rhythms and sort of like the waves in the ocean. And so sometimes life is really crazy and really busy and there's these big waves coming, but, but waves in the ocean come in sets, sets of three typically. And then there's a little bit of a lull and Mm -hmm. he's like, life comes like that in rhythms. And the, I think the trick is to recognize the lulls because I know there's times where I get so used to going, 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 there is a natural lull. And I feel like I got to go, go, go. And I forget that, oh, I can just turn everything off and step away and it's okay. Yeah. No, I love that. We have, you have used that with me before in our conversations and I do love that. And I had forgotten it until you just brought it up again. And I think that's like, that just smacked me over the head because I was just, (laughs) for example, no, two weeks ago, like, I mean, I'm, so I'm a realtor, um, full-time now, as well as the REI concierge and managing my own real estate portfolio and fathering two children and being a husband. So we're, we're busy, but, uh, friends as a realtor, we're slammed. Keep the list going. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, the good stuff. Yeah. Friends, family, you know, activities, fun things. Yeah. Those are Mm -hmm. squeeze in there occasionally too. But, uh, it's, uh, so as we're slammed, you know, I mean, the market's insane. Like everyone wants to buy houses, everyone wants to sell houses. And it's just, it's honestly nonstop. And like, it got to a point where two weeks ago I I was done, quote unquote done, you know, like I had everyone under contract and like, no one was looking. And like, I immediately went into prospecting mode. I, I, I like immediately went back to my database and I was like, who can I talk to that wants to buy a house or sell a house? And I was like, whoa, dude, like, chill out you've been going hard for like six months you know like (laughs) all week every week weekends everything like and that that it scared me a little bit you know like i realized like i think i'm you know a driven person business-wise but like that's silly you know what i mean like you know like you kind of get to the top of the mountain and you're like oh good the view is awesome let me sprint down the other side (laughs) you know like 
no, have a picnic. Yes. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. And, and that's, it's weird, Lisa, because that, that's, that's me. That's how I, that's how I view myself. You know, like the image you have of yourself is always like, I am a simple dude. Like when I say all I want is a van down by the river, you and I joke about this all the time, but we're both completely serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I had like a sweet camper van with a bunch of bikes in my family and some tents down by a river in like the mountains, good. That's it. That's literally all I need. Um, and so like, why can't I just chill out? You know what I mean? Like celebrate victories, you know, like take a little break. Um, so that, that kind of hit me and I was like, I got to chill out. I got to relax. Um, but good for yeah, you so for seeing it and catching yourself. For understanding, you know? right? Good. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I realized it. And then I, I did, I stepped away. I was like, I'm done. I'm gonna go get on bike. And I did. Um, nice. so that felt good. But like the waves analogy is really good because it's like there are laws and thank God for them. You know, like we need to <laughs> embrace them with all our might. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because that that's the point of it. Right. Like we don't we don't all work hard to work this hard the rest of our lives, do we? I don't think so. You know, we work this hard so we that so that we can find time to do whatever we want at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you get to that point and you're done working and you can't find whatever you want to do, then you better hurry up and find it, <laughs> you know, and it just gets you thinking. So I don't know. I'm all over the place, Lisa. You knew this was going to happen when you had me on. And you're taking a, there's a lull coming up. You're doing a bike, multi-day bike trip coming up. I am. Yeah. By the time no, this we, goes uh, out, it will be in the past, but today while we're it recording, be. it's in the Hopefully future. I survived. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> no. We're Please doing a, it's a trip. Yeah, it's a trip we've done. I did several years ago and uh, got carted off the field, more or less. I got stomach flu right on day three, which was just uh, rough. But just the greater the greater Allegheny Passage from uh, Cumberland, Maryland. We're taking the old Amtrak up, which is always fun in, in and of itself, taking your bike on an Amtrak train. Yeah. And then riding back to Georgetown with some buddies. Um, so, yeah, it's beautiful. And I, I just can't wait to, like, get out there and just be along the Potomac for three full days. Um nice. But I'm not I'm not in bike shape, so we'll see. I think I'll be okay because it's super flat. Like it can't be that bad. <laughs> like I, I hope God. I can still pedal 60 miles a day on super flat ground. You're not we'll biking see. in the Alps. No, no. And I did that. So if I did that, then I'm good, right? You can definitely. It was two years ago when I used to be in shape. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm very excited about that because it's honestly like since so I mean full backstory like we got back to the u.s six months ago you know like we my wife is foreign service just like your husband is and like we just got back from the netherlands where you and i met several years ago um where i was doing nothing you know like we had the rei concierge um but that was like you know i mean we we work 15 20 hours a week maybe you know on that and uh and i was raising our our son um and then i came back and joined this real estate team with our friend tanya salsuth here and it's like she's very successful and we're just slammed. <laughs> so I see her, I went from zero to a hundred with no room in between. And meanwhile, you know, we have another son six months ago and we have a new house and it's just kind of like, I use the analogy drinking from a fire hose. Cause that's all I can think of where it's just kind of like inundation of everything in life. And so like for me to be able to do a three day bike trip back then was nothing. And I tried to do it as much as possible. Like I did a six day bike ride in the Alps that you alluded to with some buddies, which was phenomenal. But like to just be able to put the phone down for three days has not happened in six months, you know, so I'm stoked. I'm, I really am like, I'm very excited to just not be connected for a little while. So. Awesome. Yeah. So speaking of the Netherlands, I remember, so I remember first meeting you we were at the Marine Corps ball and it was like, Hey, mm-hmm. and you and Adrian had just arrived. 
And first question out of your mouth was, I hear you guys have real estate. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Guilty we had, charged. We had no idea that would end up eventually with us running a real estate investing consulting business together. Yeah. One of the other early memories that really stands out to me, I believe that you and Adrian had us over for dinner. And John and I at the time were fascinated with tattoos because John had gotten his first tattoo. I had either just gotten my first tattoo and his him his second or was about to. And we noticed a tattoo mm-hmm. on your arm and we asked you about it. And mm-hmm. it led to one of those moments of, wow, didn't expect that coming and didn't expect the the connection that it created. So I say all that, and then I'm going to toss the ball into your court and say, um, are you willing to share that story? Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's important. And I think if anywhere I'm going to share it, it's on this podcast, right? With you, um, because it, I mean, so you're talking about, I have a tattoo on my left bicep um, of a mountain range with the words, we shall rage and my friend Adam's name underneath it um, in his handwriting. So my friend Adam died of brain cancer um, five years ago at the age of 37. Um, he was, and I mean, I share this story because it's earth shattering for me. You know, it was a, it was an inflection point in my life, obviously. And this is, you know, he was the best man in my wedding, uh, Adrian and I's wedding in September. Um, he started acting erratically and was in the psych ward by November because of behavioral issues, because he didn't know what was wrong with him. Um, his brain wasn't functioning because he had a massive tumor on it. And by, um, August of the next year, he was dead at 37. So, and this, but this wasn't just a friend. Like I, I do want to stress the point that I've known this guy since I was zero. He was literally my first friend. We grew up across the street from each other. He was family to me. Um, and obviously named my son after him. So that was crushing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know any other word for it. And I think that the special and unique thing about Adam is like, for me was that, um, we had our whole lives together. So what I mean by that is like, we had history together. We had elementary school memories. We had Boy Scout memories. We had high school memories, college memories, grad school memories, road trip memories, bachelor party memories, and so many future plans, you know? So it was like all the history and all the weekend activities currently, you know, like we had plans to go on a trip three weeks after he got sick. Um, you know, and we would, we would go to North Carolina, we would go to Tennessee, we would camp for like a week and just mountain bike and kayak and just do the stuff that we love more than anything. And he's the only one that really does that with me. Like I have friends that'll do it occasionally, you know what I mean? But like, we were just like kindred spirits, I guess. Like we just, that's where we found the most freedom and most happiness on earth was doing stuff like that. Um, and we had, I mean, scores of plans to ride the rim trail in Tahoe and, you know, bike pack across the U S and ride the great continental divide. And like, we had years bookmarked, you know, like 2045, we're doing this and, you know, like, I don't know. Um, so that almost killed me. That was like, I've never experienced anything like that. And it was like, you get to the point where you're like, what, what is, (laughs) uh, what's fair if that happens, you know, like Mm -hmm. what is I, I I get speechless even talking about it now. Like it was just kind of like, oh. what the hell? Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know. Like I I start stammering when I start talking about it because I'm still like, why? Like he was, and it wasn't just because he was my friend. Like he was the best guy you could know, mm. hands down. Shirt off your back, like last dollar out of your pocket. Like, I mean, like the people that came out for his 
you know, when he was in hospice, like the principal of the school came, like the superintendents of the schools came because he's a teacher. He's an art teacher. He's a brilliant artist. And like mm. people love this dude, you know, and like, yeah, it's tragic. It really is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I say all that because I know, you know, your husband passed of the same thing. So the the lightning bulb moment where I was like, like, I'm used to sharing that story. And like, I'm I'm oddly forthright with it because it's still very fresh. I don't care. I mean, th- and this was three years ago, so it was still uber fresh. Yeah. Um, and five years, it still feels like it was yesterday. But like, it, I I wear it on my sleeve because I want everyone to know who he was. People that haven't even met him, I'll share Adam's story every day with anyone, even you know, new friends in my house in the Netherlands. Um, and then you're like, oh yeah, that same thing happened to my first husband. And I was like, stop. Like what? I mean, (laughs) I think we, I don't know the numbers on this, Lisa, maybe you do, but the numbers of people that get a glioblastoma, like they're not large. And for like two young folks to get this and die of, well, I mean, you get it, you die of it. Like that's, you don't come back from it. I've never heard of it. Um, so yeah, that, the, so that just kind of like, it was kind of an instant bond, I think, between you and I, because I was just like, shut up. I, I seriously, I was like, what? Like, I, that's not a story you tell and get a, oh yeah, me too. I know. <laughs> you know I, mean? I know. And like, it was almost, I remember in that moment, like, do crazy. I even, do I even bring it up? Because you don't want right. to be a, oh right. yeah, like well, a one me upper. too. Yeah, like, me too. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was no. like, no way. But and yet, uh, the connection point there, and, and I know, I, I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes when I share that I lost my husband and to a brain tumor and things like that, you know, it, it creates a awkwardness. People don't know what to say. Totally. Right. And especially at this age, that's the thing. Like you hear yes. cancer, you think 60s, 70s, like old folks, like this guy was in his thirties, you know, and so was Eric, you know, like he yeah. was, yeah, it's just nuts. But yeah. Sorry. And I remember that moment of sort of awkwardness after you start sharing about Adam, but it was a totally different kind of awkwardness. And I'm like, I have to say this about my husband because otherwise you're going to think we're just feeling uncomfortable with your story. And it's like, that is not it at all. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is kind of mind blowing. And wow. Yeah. And it, I mean, that it changed everything for me. I mean, it did like that. It, I adopted it. So Adam was incredibly humble. I mean, the most humble guy you ever meet. And somewhat shy even though everyone loved him like he was hilarious brilliant and like but he was very just he stuck to himself you know what i mean like he kept his world small and he would always like he would shy out of things so like we would go to parties in high school and be like nah i'm good you know or like he'd get worried about stuff you know like let's go to this concert in philly you know and he'd be like nah you know then we're gonna have to get a hotel and like my car is not doing well you know like he would just I, I don't know how to describe it, but he realized that, like, he finally realized that, like, in his mid-30s, he was like, Tim, dude, I've wasted so much time. Like, I've just been saying no forever. I've been saying no forever, and I don't know why. There's no reason. He had a little social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yes, man, yes. Like, I've been telling, I've been trying to get you out, you know, like, because it would kill me. You know, I love hanging out with the dude. And when he would be like, no, I just can't do it. And I'd be like, come on, man. And then, like, so finally, like, we started doing these trips. Like literally we started, we would get throw the kayak on the roof, throw the bikes on the roof and just go to North Carolina and live in the woods for a week, you know, mm-hmm. and just, and he was a really good cook too, like Italian. He would just, he would bring steaks and like have stuff marinated, like in a Yeti wow. cooler. And like, we just grill in the woods. Anyways, I say all this to say that he, he basically told me, he's like, from now on, I just say yes. Um, wow. And he said this literally like two years before we got married, you know, before we started doing all these adventures. He's like, now I'm just doing it. I just say yes. Like life's too short. Just say yes. Um, 
Mm. And so, and then this, I don't know about this pot, this shit happened. I don't know if this is edit, but yeah, I don't know what else to call it, but shit. Um, this shit happened. And I was like, okay, that's, that's not cool. You know, like <laughs> he, he just started getting it. Um, and I say all that to say that, like, now I just say yes. You know, like that was something that I adopted and like try to keep the torch on for him. Um, where when opportunity, and I don't mean big, bold opportunities, like, Hey, come be the CEO of this company, or why don't you come live in my villa in Italy for six months? You know, like, I'm just saying like, Hey, come over for dinner on Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, like his go-to was no, always no, you know, because of X, Y, Z for mm-hmm. his whole life, our whole lives until like the mid thirties. Um, and I do that sometimes too. Everyone does that sometimes too. But like, I have started to retrain myself in the past six years to just be like, yeah, mm. unless there's a blatant reason not to, uh-huh, I'm doing it. Yeah. And like it happened, you know, Adrian and I applied that when we did, we got the opportunity to TDY to Paris, um, when she was pregnant with Adam. Mm. Um, and there were a million reasons why not to, I mean, it's Paris. So yeah, there's a million reasons <laughs> to go, but like, we're also, yeah. you know, she was six months pregnant. Um, and monetarily, I mean, there's just all kinds of reasons, but we're just, she's like, she's like, Adam would just say yes. I'm like, we're saying yes. You know, Mm -hmm. like, of course, you know, like these kind of things pop up and I think you're, you're better off just saying yes. And then maybe regretting saying yes than saying no and regretting saying no. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because at least you got that experience, whatever it was, you know, like if you don't win, you learn, you know, if it wasn't a great experience, you still learn something, got a story out of it. Um, so yeah, and I'm not good at it, Lisa. Like I've really having this conversation that I haven't had in a long time, um, I realize I haven't been doing a good job at it. So that's a good reality check for me to realize, like, just say yes is like, I need to up, I need to re-up my game on that for Adam, if nothing else. So yeah, that was, I mean, he has a million legacies with me, but like, that's the one where it really shines through. And I think, I don't know how that relates to making life less difficult, but maybe just saying yes to stuff. There's maybe so the many. difficult part. There's something there, right? Yes. Um, There's a lot yeah. there. There's a lot there, Tim. And I think that several thoughts come to my mind. One of this openness to say yes to things is near and dear to my heart. I used to be much more resistant to trying new things because I was worried about not doing them well. And over, I don't know how many years I've really, I mean, part of my starting to say yes to things was after Eric died. And I was like, well, I mean, life is short. You don't know how much you have. You can be perfectly well one day and you can have a brain tumor the next day. And I want to take advantage of life and, and live it. And so that certainly um, pushed me in that direction. And then also adopting the progress, not perfection motto and mantra and imperfection, like do things imperfectly, do things poorly, just do them. them. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it can't be said yeah. enough. And like, I think there's, there's just a lot to that because the, I mean, you, you brought up the life is short thing and like that, I mean, that should go without saying it's so cliche life is short, but, but, but like, I think from your, yours and I shared experience, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, for real, you know, like this, the guy, I mean, <laughs> so just to put it in context, like we basically, you know, we, we road tripped across America to Lake Tahoe where he, his family had a cabin and would like, we, we rode our mountain bikes for hundreds of miles during this trip. Yeah. You know, like it was, the guy was strong. He could have climbed Everest. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, this wasn't an unhealthy man. Mm-hmm. Um, and just gets struck down in your prime for lack of a better term. Like, yeah, life's short, you know, like get it, get it done. Um, and it I mean, just, it really, it, it changed. This, this was a lot, this had a lot to do with like my financial outlook. You know what I mean? Like, what mm-hmm. can I do 
so that Adrian and I can do what we want to do before we're too old to enjoy it. Right. And it really hyper accelerated that. I mean, it, you know, like it, I was just like, I want, Adam would have wanted this. And like, honestly, we wanted the same things. Like we just, we were two peas in a pod. Like it was almost annoying, but uh, (laughs) yeah, like we, you know, like how can we get to that cabin? I know Adrian's not really into the cabin idea, but you know, how can we get to where we want to be so that we can do what Cabin, we want? She probably as as would go with the cabin before going with the van. Down over the van, the for sure. Over the van. Yeah, <laughs> she'll take the cabin over the van, no doubt. Um, yeah, but it, it really, it, it changed. Because we we also had a lot of conversations about, uh, it, on that road trip, like that, I, it was our last road trip. Like we've taken dozens of road trips. We've driven across the country three times together. This was the third and final. Wow. Um, and like we had conversations about, careers because I was in a transition period. Like I don't feel appreciated. Mm. Um, you know, I'm never rising through the ranks and what is a corporate job? And, you know, like he was saying, like, I love teaching. <laughs> He's like, mm. I don't make anything, but I love these kids. Like there's some politics in there. I don't like, but like, you know, they're always educating me and giving me resources I need. And I'm like, I'm out. Like I got to do something else. Mm. I don't know. I have no idea what it is, mm. but it's not this. Yeah. And like, that I mean the the fire was lit and I was like I'm out man like this is it's it's not worth it it's not and this is before he was sick you know yeah. but like just these conversations with a, a close friend is just like I'm whatever I'm doing is not working and then I I literally just kind of came across real estate investing I'm like oh that makes sense yeah. um you know whatever else I do in conjunction with this that's going to be the backdrop that allows me to not have to do what I do in conjunction with this forever yeah um and that's where we are now you know whatever five, six years later, um, and we keep it going. So yeah, it changed my life. Yes. And I, I really think one of the things that's become really important to me is continuing to tell the stories. And it's part of the motivation for me to have this podcast is to share stories and invite people to share their stories. Because when, especially when we have lost loved ones, I believe it, it's really honoring to them to share their story, to keep their memories alive and to keep allowing them to inspire us. And sometimes, sometimes I, I actually like the phrase life is fragile a little bit more than the life is short. And sometimes I say life is short, but sometimes I'm like, life is really fragile. And we just never know, like things can change in a split second. And it just, it's something I try to kind of come back to every now and then to check in with myself and be like, okay, what's What's priority out of all the things in front of me right now? And it, and it might sound a little bit morbid and depressing to think through that lens. And yet, I, I don't know any other way to see the world having lost Eric and gone through that experience. So, No, I think, I think people that have lost young ones completely out of the blue, especially at a young age, have to have develop quickly a very morbid sense of humor. Mm. Um, like you, you have to, it's a survival mechanism. It's absolutely necessary. And like, you know, the friends I you know, our, our friend group with Adam, like as we were sitting at the hospice and, you know, the multiple surgeries and the chemo and the radiation, just making absurd, borderline disgusting jokes that like Adam was cracking up at, you know what I mean? Because first of all, he's hilarious. Second of all, he knows he's dying. Third of all, you have to, you literally have to. Because otherwise, you're just never coming out of that. And like, I mean, we would get, we would get looks from nurses, just like, disc- like, oh, just wow, horrible. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I don't remember any of them, you know, right. but like, 
But no, that dark we, humor serves a purpose. You have to. You yeah. ha- it absolutely does. And like Adam was the ringleader of it, you know, like, and it's just, and it's carried on, you know, and I have other friends and family members that have lost close loved ones um, very young for no good reason. And like, <laughs> we'll make jokes in mixed company and they'll be like, oh my God, what is wrong with you people? Like, yeah, you don't get it. And you don't, you know, like, and you and I have made jokes like that, yeah. you know, because that it is, you have to. And I know <laughs> I'll bring up John, your husband and like his little, uh, whatever weird, morbid life countdown calculator he has on the wall at work, like whatever I have, you know, 3,162 weeks left. What am I going to do? Like yeah. to a lot of people, that's crazy. But mm-hmm. like, to me, I'm like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, what are you going to do? You know, and you're like, lucky if you have that many. So make sure you like you really take advantage of Exactly so. right. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that, you know, people in yours and mine circumstance, they get that. And to a lot of other people, it's just very gauche or just kind of like, you can't talk about that kind of stuff. I'm like, you, you better talk about that kind of stuff because that's reality. Um, I didn't think this was going to happen. <laughs> you didn't think this was going to happen, you know, and like when something happens to you, you're not going to think that was going to happen to you either. But it does. And so life is precious and it is fragile and it should be cherished. Um, and it's a good reminder to me to have this conversation. Like you said, like I don't there was a time like the first year I talked about nothing but Adam, you know, and now as time goes by, like a group of friends of, you know, his his dad will get on a Zoom with us, you know, the date of his death or like on his birthday. And we'll just kind of tell old stories and stuff like that. And like, that's a good memory. But like, I think the more you keep it front of mind and like, oh, wait. it's still raw. You know what I mean? And you think back to like your last conversations with Adam or with Eric and you're like, okay, this is, I remember, I remember viscerally that feeling of like how important this stuff is. Mm -hmm. Um, and let's get it back in gear. Mm -hmm. So this is helpful for me for sure. Like sad and helpful kind of like anything when you talk about a, a dead loved one, I guess. So, and it's one of those things that I go back to, like there's, some people turn the phrase making life less difficult into, oh, let's try to make life easy or easier. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like that's actually not what I'm talking about. Like there's times to make things easier. Like I get it, but there's times where there's no way to make something easier. You don't go through the loss of a loved one and figure out how to make that easier, but there are things that make it less difficult. And so I think about the humor that you mentioned, and I'd love to hear from you. What are some other things, other people that helped make that time less difficult, both as you knew Adam was going to die. And then after he passed. Yeah. I mean, number one would be Adrian. Like my wife was a rock throughout that. Like I, I'm not a crier. Like I just, it, not, not on purpose. I just don't. Um, so like when, when Adam, when I got like a call from his dad that like he finally, like, and of course the way he phrased it just ripped my heart out. He's, he's finally ridden his big red, his big orange bike into the sky. And I was just like, Oh, that did it. And I just, I, I pulled over and lost it, you know? And like, I haven't cried like that ever, literally ever. Um, and it felt weird. And I was like, what the, like, I can't control my convulsions right now. Like, (laughs) like it was just ugly sobs, you know? Um, and then like, you know, just coming back, I was having dinner at my house, at my parents' house that night. So like my mom and dad were there, my Jeff, who, you know, my brother-in-law and my sister were there and Adrian. And like, I just like collapsed. Like I just walked in and they're like, oh, you don't look so good. And I was just like, blah, you know, just like uncontrollable. Um, so like my family is super supportive and like, luckily I'm really close to my family. You know, like we live a mile from my parents and like two miles from my sister and brother-in-law. Um, and they grew up, I mean, like I said, I, when I say he's my first friend, like we were friends as babies, you know, like we, mm. 
you know, his mom babysat me, my mom babysat him as we were infants. Um, so like they all know Adam like a brother too, you know, yeah. like my parents see Adam like a son. Um, so it's like they get it. And I think it's just, there's, there's kind of a different level of hurt there than like the high school friends, you know, yeah. or like, you know, the college guys that he hung out with for four years. So it's like, I got really, really close with his sister and we were, you know, that was his big, his big sister that was always kind of like the bully, you know, <laughs> um, when we were growing up, but like we got super close and I never been close to her before and we still are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like my family was great. Adrian's family was great. His family was his family's a little all over the place, um, but his sister was a rock. Um, and it's just, yeah, like I, I re-engaged with a lot of high school friends I hadn't seen in a while. So like, but uh, yeah, I would say number one would be Adrian, who's just kind of like always there because there'd be da there's days, you know what I mean? Like, you know, better than anyone, there's days where you're just like, Ugh. I mean, nothing works, nothing works. And they're out of the blue. A lot of times it has to do with the dream. I still dream about this guy once a week, you know, like, I mean, vividly. <laughs> like he's here and I wake up and I'm like whoops um and then sometimes you can't get you can't get back from that on a day yeah. and like she'll just be like you know is this is this an Adam day or like is this you know like I'm just like yeah um so yeah I mean it's an ongoing battle but like you need you need those people and I don't know what I'd do without her and like with my family and um you know my sister and brother-in-law and stuff so yeah support is absolutely necessary it is and I think the other piece that you just mentioned of still having days where you have a dream or something, you know, is brought up and there's just, there's a feeling that comes with that. And it just is nearly impossible to show up in life. Mm -hmm. Normal. There's, there's no energy. There's, I know I still have days where I'm like, really, like, what's the point of any of it? Yep, 100%. And yeah. that grief that I don't know if it ever leaves completely. I mean, certainly I don't have as many days like that now as I did long ago, but it's been 17 years since Eric died. And to still sometimes feel grief and low energy. And sometimes I'm just like, what is wrong? And then it'll just be like, okay, well back to the self-compassion. What if I'm just kind to myself today and honor uh, where I'm at and it it's okay. Yeah. No, totally. And I, I mean, I, <laughs> I talk to him like a crazy person. Like I, I straight up talk to my dead best friend, um, especially on long bike rides, you know, and like, sometimes I yell at him, like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm pissed, you know, like, why'd you have to, it's not his fault, but you know, that that's kind of like part of the grieving process too. Like, yeah. F you, why'd you leave me? And blah, blah, blah. You know, like it, it's silly, but like, what do we, we, we're not equipped to handle this kind of stuff. Like we just do with it yeah. what we can. I'll speak for myself. I'm not equipped. I, I don't know what the hell to do losing your best friend in your thirties. So like, yeah. yeah. And we, you know, I talk to him and like now <laughs> the worst part, Lisa is little Adam. So there's little Adam in my life, my little three-year-old son and big Adam. And like little Adam is now aware of big Adam because I just mentioned him and like, mm -hmm. he's a smart little kid. Yeah. And like he picks up on it. And like I said, he was an artist. So I have art all over my house that was painted by Adam. And like, I have pictures of him and I have a lot of his, I have a lot of his belongings, you know, like mm -hmm. his guitars and his bikes and stuff like that. And <laughs> like, he just, that kid has me crying on the way to school sometimes where he's just like, uh, you know, cause we pass by the school where he taught every day mm -hmm. when I take Adam to school and he's like, is big Adam there today? You know, would big Adam have liked this? And, you know, I wish there was another big Adam. I, if I saw big Adam, I'd give him a hug. And I'm like, where the hell are you coming up with this man? Like, wow. Are you, are you trying to make me fall down in a blubbery mess? <laughs> you know, like, where does it, where does a three-year-old come up with? I want to give big Adam a hug. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just like, but I'm excited for that. You know, like Adam would yeah. love this little guy. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And I want little Adam to grow up loving big Adam because he was a huge part of my life. And, you know, he's legacy for lack of a better term, I guess. I don't know. Like Adam didn't have kids. So um, that that's a hard, a hard mix for me to it was really hard. Like when we decided to finally name, like there was one, I, I don't know. I hope we were sitting around a fire one night when we decided to name Adam, Adam, mm. and we were struggling with, you know, what, if we had a boy, what his name was going to be. Cause we didn't know the sex. Um, and we were trying to go for Adam's middle name and like incorporate his last name somehow. And like Adrian finally just said like, why not? Why don't we name our son Adam? And that was the first time I lost it. Like I, I, I lost it. You know, I was like, yep, we have, that's it. We have to. Yep. Um, and so now, you know, the first six months of his life was really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like calling this little tiny baby that's mine, Adam, it was like, it was very, very hard. And I was like, I was just hoping it would got easier and it finally has. Um, but like now it's, it's super special. I think, you know, like Absolutely. my best friend has always been Adam. Um, you know, my little, my little kids, my best friend, you know, like that's, it's always going to be Adam. Um, so that's really cool. And I'm excited. Like it, it's hard for me to watch him maybe say these just absurdly cute and like heart-wrenching things like giving big adam a hug who he's never met and like mm. <laughs> just big adam paints really good pictures and i don't know big adam would have liked that i'm like you never met the guy but uh wow yeah um there's a connection oh, there powerful I, stuff. I, what what it makes me think of tim i know through the years and it still happens where somebody will say to me i, I you know is it okay if i ask you a question. I don't know if you want to talk about Eric or should I not ask questions? And, and to me, I, I welcome questions. And I think it's a sort of universal thing where people shy away from asking about our loved ones who have died because I, I don't want to remind you of them. And Adam has no worries. Your little Adam has no worries about that. right? Not, yeah. No. And, I just, a good point. it's kind of like the adults who have those worries, it's like, well, do you think I would have forgotten? And you would think that like, I never think about Eric. Oh, yeah. And so then like, <laughs> right. oh yeah, I totally forgot about him. Sure. Ask me some questions. It actually, it, it really, for me, at least it helps me because I never know if people want to hear my stories or not. Yeah. And some people don't, and that's totally fine, but some people do. And, and it actually gives me permission to talk about it if they ask some questions. And, and again, I feel like telling stories of our loved ones helps honor their memory, keep their influence alive in our lives and in the lives of others who maybe have never met them, but can be inspired to say yes to something because they're listening to this conversation today and somebody might be like, oh, I should say yes to more things. And I'm going to do it because Adam did it. And why not? No, I love, I love all of that, Lisa. And thank you for saying all that. Yeah. It's, uh, this has been like, I, I know when we first discussed, you know, doing this podcast, I was like, I know Adam and Eric are going to come up. Like I know it. And then like, <laughs> you know, like I've, I, I didn't know it was going to, we're going to go so extensively, but this has been super cathartic for me. And I think you're absolutely right. Like it's funny because I I just picture Adam wherever he is, just going, "You jackass! What are you talking about me for?" You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> he's such a sarcastic little schmuck. I just see him going, "Like what are you doing, dude?" You know what I mean? And that makes me laugh. That literally makes me laugh because like that's my boy, and I know exactly how he'd react to this. He'd be super embarrassed, mm. and that makes me happy because I'm embarrassing him. <laughs> like it's just 
but I, I think that it's important, you know what I mean? And I think it's, if not for Adam himself, like it, for people that are going through this, you know, I mean, this is a podcast, hopefully some people listen to it. And like, I think, yeah, it's just, it is hard to talk to people because you don't know how they're going to react. Like, I can't, it's funny because like when you first brought up, you know, your husband, I was just like, oh, she gets it. You know, and like, I just went full bore, like, well, that sucked, right? You know, like, we just, again, the morbid sense of humor, because like, we know, and that's the only way you can get through. Um, but some people are very tippy toe, tippy toe. And like, that, that's fine, because you don't know. Um, or not yet. I mean, everyone experiences loss, we're not special, you know, it just happened to be a, a very weird, unexpected time um, with very close people. So like, yeah, I understand the hesitation, but I think it is important. Um you know, whether Adam wants me to or not, I'm gonna keep talking about that guy. Well, and I think, you know, if somebody's listening and they resonate with the, I don't know if I should ask or not, I have found, and, and my husband, John is really good at this, where he just asked people, Hey, tell me, tell me a funny story about your mom or your grandma or your, your friend, Adam, uh, what comes to mind as a, you know, inspiring story from their life. And just, you know, to open, open the door of like, tell me a story about this person. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes it takes a moment and dips into that, the tears and the sadness, almost a hundred percent of the time, it then moves into a place of joy and laughter yeah. and smiling and gratitude. And so I, I really do think that that's a gift we can offer people to say, Hey, um, tell me a story. I think that's happened on this podcast. Like when you just said that, like that's I've been on a roller coaster just talking to you about this, you know, and it's just like it was one of the saddest things in my life, but it was also 35 of the happiest years of my life, you know, like it's mm -hmm. like so there there's so much joy there and there's a lot of regret of loss, but there's also what he's left me with mindset-wise and just like say yes, go do things. You know, like I think there's yeah, I mean <laughs> there, I think I think of conversations we had in hospice that like still make me laugh out loud. Like one of those things where you're in an elevator and we'll just giggle because the mm -hmm. dude was so funny, you know, and he's saying it literally on his deathbed. And, you know, people just kind of be like, what's wrong with this guy? And I'm like, sorry, just a funny thing my my dead best friend said on his deathbed, you know, because it's, it's that funny. And it mixed with the absurdity of the situation. It's just yeah. like you can't help but laugh out loud. And like that is a precious gift. Um yeah. And I just, yeah, I want everyone to know how cool he was like that. <laughs> if nothing else, you know, I just, I just want everyone to remember how cool he was. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's super important. And I also, I'll just take a moment to say, I don't think it's strange or silly or weird to have conversations. Like you were saying, you talk with Adam. It's funny because I hear Eric's voice in my head all the time or a joke mm -hmm. that he would make or the tone of voice that he would say something in, or, oh, he would have given me a hard time about this. And it just, to me, it's a way of keeping, keeping him alive in spirit, in my heart and, and honoring his life that was way too short on this earth. Um, but it's, it's very, to me, it's very honoring. No, it is. And I think it's funny, like, this is obviously all just what what do they call that confirmation bias where if you're looking if you're shopping for a blue car you see nothing but blue cars on the mm -hmm. on the road but like I see stuff in my son that reminds me uncannily of Big Adam and like <laughs> I mean just mannerisms and like little like Adam used to say I'm a destroy and he would say that when he saw a big plate of food he's <laughs> like I'm gonna eat it all 
And like little Adam has said that before. I'm going to eat all of it. Like in a weird, like guttural voice. I'm like, what is happening? You know, like, where did that come? Like, do I say that? And he, please tell me I say that and he sees it or someone's messing with me. But yeah. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I love that. I love that. And like, whether I'm just seeing what I want to see or not, like that is very real. And like that tone of voice came from somewhere and it ha- it obviously has to be me. I mean, he's not, big Adam's not channeling little Adam. Like I'm not crazy, but like that is, it's super special to me. Cause like, I'll just look at Adrian and be like, what? <laughs> like that was Adam. And it's just, it's wild because it is Adam. And like, I don't know. It's just that I'm, that's something I need, you know? And like the fact that, I don't know, it comes from my son who I get to spend the rest of my life with makes me very excited. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate appreciate you sharing the story, Tim, and I appreciate learning more about Adam and feel inspired in my own life. Like, I mean, it's, even though this is a very parallel journey for me, it's like life goes on, life gets busy as we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation. And I remember when Eric first passed away, I had, I had quit my job and was staying home, taking care of him. And then he passed away and I did not go back to work right away. And I was determined. I remember telling people, I am never ever, ever going to get sucked back into the rat race. Life is too short, too fragile. Never. I hear you. And then, you know what? I mean, I've, I have gotten sucked back into the rat race at various times. I, I do tend to be more aware and then say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's slow things down a little bit. Let me look at everything that's going on. But having these conversations, like it's a good reminder to me too, again, of what's most important today. What's most important in this moment? Who's most important? Yeah. No, I, I like, I like thinking about what's most important and I, <laughs> I don't know how I phrase it in my head. It's not that succinct, but I, I go through some version of that at least once a week where I'm like, it's something to the effect of what matters. Like how much of this actually matters? Mm-hmm. Like how many of these emails do I care about? How many of these bills are actually important? Like what? why is this little thing stressing me out? You know, like while this big thing over here, I don't even care about, you know what I mean? Like prioritizing importance, um, is hard for me, I think. And like addressing things in a, in a, in a, uh, fashion that makes sense in terms of actual priorities. But I think framing this in terms of like, (laughs) I'm laughing because like all the things that are on my to-do list in comparison to like what Adam would have wanted to do for his last six months, inconsequential, literally every single one. Mm. they would have all been thrown out not a one would stay um so like that that's impactful um and i think that you know for me this is super helpful to remember that because like we get so bogged down in just the emails and the texts and the calls and the schedule and the but being too tired at the end of the day to you know spend time with your wife and kids or you know with john in your case and just like enjoying why you work for this Mm. um yeah, like looking back at Adam, like if he, if I could just picture him on his couch, you know, having been diagnosed, like, and I would hand him this list, my to-do list, which is just absurd, as is ever. I mean, I'm not special, as is a lot of people's. I could just see him <laughs> smart-assedly tearing it up and throwing it over his head in a million pieces, you know, and just kind of shrugging. Yeah. Because like, right. I mean, yeah, it's stuff you got to do. But like, in the grand scheme of things, is it that important? I don't know. Now, it, it is important in some way, but not 
as important as the things that are really important. Yeah. And I, my, a, my question for you is how do you, how do you find ways to manage that? Because I mean, I'm coming back to the word balance, which again, I don't love the balance word. There's just a, there's practical aspects of life. There's bills to pay. There's, we need work. We need money. We need income. We need to be responsible. You have kids. You need to keep your kids alive and healthy. Um, And so that is something that I continue to ask myself is how do I maintain this awareness that life is short and fragile and any moment, everything could change. And also living like, okay, well, I'm going to be a responsible human and citizen and family member and friend. And maybe I live to 104, like my grandmother. And so what, what's your take on how to hold both at the same time? Oh, Lisa, um, that is, that is weighty. Uh, I'll get back to you. Okay. <laughs> no, honestly, like it, it is, it is something I struggle with. It is a work in progress. And I think that, um, it's something I'm good at in, in waves. Speaking of waves, uh, like it yeah. is, it's very much like when I kind of reassess when I feel really, really burned out or have like a really bad Adam funk day or, you know, something happens and I'm just like, okay, for real, what matters? Um, and I, I put that, I start seeing everything else through the lens of what matters. You know, like you and I in our business talk about the funnel, you know, like we talk about the United States, 400 metropolitan cities, neighborhoods, partners, streets, properties, you know, like you, you whittle it down so you find that right property. It's almost reverse how I want it to be and how I, when I'm good at this, I want it to be like family at the top of this pyramid. Mm. Businesses, you know, like. Or even switch it up, family, fun, <laughs> businesses, mm-hmm. you know, peace of mind, you know, like however you want to function that. Like it, for me, it helps to just kind of reassess. And I, again, I'm only good at it in phases where I'm like, I want to make sure I can do everything I can to be the best dad and best husband I can be today. Anything else is secondary, anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I do that on like a every morning basis, I feel a lot better. And in terms of like prioritizing after that, I don't think I can do that. If I can, that'd be awesome. But I really think I have to have like this week or today, I'm going to be the best this I can be. And I hope I can every day say husband and father, because that that's it, you know, maybe son, brother, sure. You know, but like, it's not going to be employee. It's not going to be realtor. It's not going to be REI concierge. It's not going to be cyclist, you know, like. You're a good business partner though. I'll say that. Oh, thanks, Lisa. I appreciate that. But I think, you know, in terms of like top focus, you know, yep. it really needs to be family um, and friends, I guess, you know, like that's, so I think that's something I, I struggle with and strive to attain um, progress, not perfection. Mm. You know, like if I can do it one day, that's great. If I can do it three days in a row, fantastic. Um, I'm certainly not gonna be able to do it every day, but I'm going to have self-compassion full circle mm-hmm. um, and give myself a break because it's hard. You know, we have a million things going on. And I think that it's really hard to remember what's most important um, all the time. It's it's just, it's hard. We're busy and we're, you know, um, assaulted from every angle by minutia and, you know, stuff that needs to be done and stuff that's super important and prioritized and all that. And like, it's really hard to be like, okay, none of that matters. You know, like, have I spent time with Adam? 
today. You know, like this is what I need to do. Um, have I done the dishes and made Adrian feel um, appreciated? You know, like the, this stuff's important. Like it really mm-hmm. is. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And it, to me, it comes back to the analogy of the waves. And in my short experience of taking some surfing lessons and I don't even want to say learning to surf because I don't think I've even made it that far. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm out there. I'm out there out experiencing, there. experiencing, uh, some, something of surfing. You got it. And there's a lot of times where it's getting crashed and tumbled by the waves and then coming up and getting back up on the board and just sitting out there and intentionally, and maybe this is where the wisdom is in the surfing intentionally getting out past where the waves are breaking. So you can just kind of sit and watch the waves and you watch really good surfers and a large portion of the time they're out there, they're sitting on their surfboard. Yeah. And, and I say doing nothing. And it's not that they're doing nothing because they're looking at the waves and they're analyzing and they're deciding which ones to take and which ones not to take. There's a lot of wisdom there in life. And perhaps I'm convincing myself to get back out there on the surfboard, even you if are. I'm just you sitting totally beyond are. the I see, breakers. I see your eyes twinkling. <laughs> I see your eyes twinkling, looking for the, the big rollers. Um, no, I think, you know, that, that makes me think of mindfulness. And like, I'm, you know, I'm not a woo-woo dude. Like I, all that, a lot of that stuff just bounces off me and I, I could care less about it. But I think there's something very real about mindfulness and I don't know what it is yet. I'm very early stages of exploring just being present mm-hmm. um, because I'm so distractible. Like I, again, I think I'm selfish. I think I'm distractible. I think it's very hard for me to just be, um, but it's something I'm very much working on. And like, you know, like when I'm reading my son a book, when we go to, to when he goes to bed, like, first of all, he wants 15 books. It's never one mm-hmm. book and it, it's going to take an hour and a half, you know? And like, I'm like, I have a thousand things to do right now. But like, I'm, I feel good about how I'm there and this isn't overnight. This is something I've been consciously working on for well over a year where I'm like, I just want to be here because it's awesome. Mm. Like his little questions are hilarious. Like the way he tries to convince me to not leave are just, (laughs) I mean, they're, they're hysterical. Like just, just non sequiturs out of the blue. Like, dad, do you know what I learned about rocks today? I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? We just read 48 books. I've given you water. I've given you milk. It's like rocks. They sink in water. I'm like, yes, son, I know I'm leaving. Um, but like, it, it's, it can be frustrating sometimes, but it's, it's hysterical. Like, yeah. what do we do if not for that? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and it, why am I in a rush to go down and answer some nonsense email? Mm-hmm. When like, that's what I want. That's it. That's what I do everything for. Um, so I'm proud of myself for that, for getting better at that. Yeah. It's a progress. It's not perfection by any means. There are some nights where I'm like, all right, enough, enough, enough. But like just enjoying it or dinner outside with my family. Like we have like 20 minutes before like the baby has to go to bed and Adam needs to start going upstairs and we got to do dishes and get the lunches ready for tomorrow. And But like those 17 to 20 minutes where we're all sitting on my little patio outside, just hearing the birds and watching the neighbors and seeing a bunny go by. Like we have bunnies. That's awesome. awesome. In Silver Spring, Maryland. Like, um, I'm starting to really drink that in, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I notice when I notice, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, I don't notice when I don't notice, but like, I notice when I'm being mindful, I guess. And like, I notice it more often, which makes me super happy because it's something I really work on. Um, that was a bunch of nonsense, Lisa. Not at all. Not at all. I'm mindful. <laughs> I'm mindful sometimes. There's Yes. And it's a, and it is a practice, right? They, 
talking about a mindfulness practice. It doesn't come automatically for us as humans and yet worth the effort to put in the practice and, and be kind to ourselves when we're not getting it all right. And we get impatient and we're not present. I mean, like that we're, we're humans. And so it's a journey. It is a journey. It, and <laughs> you just opened up a whole nother can of worms with the the word journey, but it is man, like, that is something I've always struggled with, like appreciating the journey. Like, just get me there. I want to mm. be done. I want to get this. I want to do that. Um, but like, I think in my, my older age and just slowing down with kids, not slowing down, but kids are slow. You know what I mean? Like they're crazy, but they're slow. Like yeah. everything is just tactile. Everything is right in front of them. Everything. They are the epitome of mindfulness. Yes. Like nothing is forethought. Nothing is memory. Like Adam thinks 15 minutes ago was yesterday. Everything's yesterday. Remember when we did that yesterday? Yes, son. That was six minutes ago. <laughs> but yesterday we did this. No, that was 14 weeks ago. You know, like everything's <laughs> like, they're always here. They're always right there in mm-hmm. their mind at any given second. And like, we lose that at some point, maybe age five. I don't know. Um, but just being with them and just seeing like, oh, their whole world is right here right now. And this is yeah. all that matters. I'm just like, that's powerful. There's you know, so much, like, I don't yeah. know, like, it, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I wish I could, like, it's glorious. Um, so I think there's a lot of wisdom there and watching little kids play with trucks. <laughs> like they literally mm-hmm. don't want to be doing anything else. Like they're not regretting missing something. They're not worried about a meeting. They're not worried about school tomorrow. Like they know I'm making their lunch, you know, mm-hmm. like they are, they are presence in a nutshell. Um, yeah. so I think that that's helpful. Yeah, so many lessons to learn from them. So much to learn from the three-year-olds. Yeah, indeed. Tim, this has been really, really meaningful. I appreciate the conversation so much. And we've been... I do too. Thank you. ...talking about having this conversation on this podcast for months now. And so I appreciate you setting aside the time and, and sharing. No, it's been my pleasure, Lisa. I think this podcast is awesome. I'm super proud of you. I think it's been awesome. I hate, so <laughs> I'll take that back if you hate it when other adults say they're proud of you because Adrian, my wife, hates that. <laughs> like when another adult says I'm proud of you, she feels it's so patronizing. And I can see that. I guess I can see that. But I am proud of you, Lisa. And I think you're doing thank a you, great Tim. job. I'll receive um, that. And I really appreciate being here. <laughs> <laughs> you're not proud of me. I'm proud of you. I'm an adult. But yeah, no, I get it. Oh, I love that. I will, I will accept your pride in me in this podcast (laughs) (laughs) and I will look forward to talking to you, um, in just a couple days on the REI concierge podcast. Yes. Yes. Good plug. Good plug for your other podcast. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm sure I'll talk to you before then we talk a lot, so, but it's good to talk out of, out of, uh, out of our normal channels. This is great. And thank you so much for sharing about Adam and his life and impact. I feel, I feel inspired. No, thank you. It was, uh, yeah, that was, I was unsure if I wanted to do that or not, but I'm glad I did um, because of what you just said. Like, I think, um, I mean, not so much for me, but for like anyone else that hears it and just knows that, um, yeah, there was a guy named Adam that was awesome and uh, he inspired me to do great things or try to do good things. Um, And yeah, I think that's important. 